All right, good morning, Bridge. Awesome. Hey, um, good to be with you. Welcome you, those of you joining us online. Um, to piggyback off of the video, we'd love to have you come and be a part of the Global Leadership Summit. Our church is a, uh, is a premier host site. So if you are a, a member or an attender here, you get a special rate on coming to the summit. It's a Thursday, Friday, August 11 and 12. It's during the day, not in the evening. So keep that in mind. You have to make some arrangements for work. But I'd love for you to come. Today we actually kick off a, a mini-series leading up to the summit. So this week, next week, and then the weekend after the summit on the 13th, Sabbath the 13th, um, we're talking about leadership. Today we start it, and then we got it next week, and then uh, you want to be here on the 13th? I've got a guest who's going who's gonna to wrap up our uh, leadership series, mini-series, Pastor Lafitte. And uh, he will be here. I think he's actually here today. Lafitte, are you here? You told me you're going to be here. You're here? Where you at, man? Hey, Pastor Lafitte in the house. Give him a hand, people. Come on. <laughs> so Pastor will be here uh, in a couple of weeks to come and close out our leadership series. Powerful preacher. You don't want to miss that. I'll be here uh, to, to support as well. But the summit, um, if you're, you're kind of wondering what it's about and you're not sure, you want to come the first day or you want to come check it out, see me. Uh, come talk to me. I'll make it possible for you to come and, and check it out. Um, I can help you with that for free, actually. Um, and if you like it, then that would be awesome. But just if you want to come check it out, let me know. Um, but for those of you who kind of know and you got your sights set on coming to the summit, um, there is a special rate for those of you who are members and attenders of our church. Also, just keep in mind, as you saw uh, Marcus talking about our worship nights coming up next Saturday evening, 6.30. Don't want to miss that. Love to have you here for a very, very special night of worship. It's going to be amazing. And uh, one last thing, our worship team this morning, huh? Yeah? Well, amen. <clears throat> amen. Orlando Central, right? Orlando, is that right? Man, we're going to steal some sheep, man. That's all right. Y'all can stay. <laughs> hey, pray with me before we get things going. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for Sabbath. Thank you for the folks who gather here at the bridge. Um, God, we just want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have to say to us about leadership. And may you speak, may you speak through um, the very finite words that I have and the limited abilities that I have. But may you speak and may everyone hear from you. May we become comfortable with the reality of the fact that we are indeed leaders. That we are called to lead. And when we lead well, others come to know you. And that's what it's all about. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out in the book of 1 Samuel. It's one of two case studies we're going to look at today. But it's the main case study. So I'm going to begin in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 3. We'll read all the way down through verse 8. Follow along with me. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. 
Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So, when you were about 15, 16 years old, and some of you I realize haven't gotten there yet, but at 15 or 16 years old, we all had to prepare for a test. A test, right? You remember the test. Your parents went and got this little book from like the Department of Motor Vehicles or something. It was a test. It was the driving test. We all kind of had to get ready and prepare to take the driving test. Now, truth of the matter is, when I was a kid, or when I was coming through this, this, this time of my life, I felt like the driver's test was a great annoyance, man. Right? I mean, it's this, it's this test, and it's, and it's like, and I'm not one to get anxiety, test anxiety, but it, it creates a little, little anxiety for you. But more than anything, it just seems like a little bit of an annoyance, too, because they're going to take something relatively simple and make it really, really complex, right? Driving, put it in D, take your foot off the brake, go. And they have this section in the driving book where they have all the signs, as if we can't figure it out. That sign says stop. All right, I better stop. Seems fairly easy to me, right? And stopping distances. Why do I need to know about stopping distances? Right? Or why do I need to know about this and this? It just seems like they take something that's relatively simple, Driving a vehicle. And they make it really complex, so it produces anxiety. And you endured this whole process of having the anxiety and having the little annoyances. Number one is because you didn't want to be the one teenager who failed the driving test. All right, time of confession. How many of y'all failed that first time? Come on, hands up. Did you fail the first one? Y'all lying? <laughs> All right, I failed it the first time, I ain't going to lie. The, the test part, not the driving part. I told you that's easy. But the test part, because I, I, I didn't take it seriously, right? Who takes the driving test seriously? You just kind of have to do it. Because what's the payoff, man? What's the payoff? You get a license. You get to drive. You get freedom. You no longer have to nag your siblings to take you anywhere. You no longer have to bug your parents. Will you take me here? Will you take me there? You get freedom. You get independence. Is it annoying? Does it produce anxiety? Absolutely. It's a pain. I hate doing it. I hated doing it back then. Funny thing is, when you get a ticket, you know, how many, all right, confession time again. How many, how many of you have had a ticket? Oh, thank you. <laughs> And then, what do they have you to do if you want to avoid higher insurance rates? You got to take a, yeah, you got to take a class. And at the end of that class, there is a test. And you, again, you're kind of like, dude, really? Come on. But you got to take the test. Because if you take the test and you pass the test, there's freedom. You still got to pay the bill, but there's freedom. There's freedom. So in this life, as Christ followers... As Christians, you and I will meet many tests. But one of the most critical tests that we will face, one of the most, 
One of the most significant tests that we will face is this test of leadership. Of leadership. Now, if you think that this test does not apply to you because somehow you assume that you are not a leader, you are absolutely wrong because you are a leader. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you claim him as your Lord and Savior, and you have chosen to follow him, and maybe you've been baptized and you've joined a church, you are a leader. So elbow the person next to you and tell them, you are a leader. Not everyone's participating. (laughs) Elbow the person on the other side of you and say, you are a leader. Whether you always feel like you are a leader or not, and whether you have a title that, that, that naturally makes you a leader, or a position that naturally makes you a leader, whether you are in that position or not, you are in fact a leader because you call Jesus Lord and Savior, and because you surrendered your life to him, you surrendered all of your life and all of your gifts and all of your talents and all of your abilities to the service of Christ, and you became a leader. That's just the way the thing works. And so it's really cool. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, talks about kind of the personal mission statement, what I believe should be the personal mission statement of every Christian. And it goes like this in Acts. um, We're going to have that up on the screen, possibly. There it is. (laughs) Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Listen to this. This is our charge. This is our mantra. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim... As a leader is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. There you go. So so you as a leader, you are a testifier to the grace of God. Whether you realize it or not, whether you whether you want to accept it or not, the reality is you are a leader and you, you become this person who is this testifier of the good news of the grace of God. So wherever you go, whatever, whatever environment you find yourself in, when, when you walk into it, people should, you should set up, you kind of ooze grace. It just sort of seeps out of your pores. And so you begin to influence whatever environment you walk into. When people see you coming as a Christian, they don't, like roll their eyes and shake their head and want to move away from you. You're not that kind of Christian, but as a leader, as a testifier of the grace of God, you step into an environment and people are drawn. People are, people kind of go, wow, Christianity and Jesus and this, wow. I've never heard of it like that before. I've never, I don't understand, but I could get into that. Because it's seasoned with grace, man. You don't come off as this know-it-all or this, this showy, showy, holy, pious person. You come off as one who testifies to the grace of God. You have been given much. And so now you understand that as a leader for the cause of Christ, you will give much. That's just the nature of it. That's how this thing rolls. But the truth of the matter is what? Leadership. 
even as a testifier of God's grace, it comes with a bit of annoyance and a bit of anxiety. Leadership is not easy. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's frustrating at times. Leadership would be perfectly easy if it didn't involve people. (laughs) Right? Every pastor, Pastor Lafitte, you can testify to this, every pastor has said this at one point in their ministry. Church and leading churches and being a pastor would be great if it didn't involve people. (laughs) Right? Your life would be so much easier as a leader if if you didn't have to deal with people. But you have to deal with people. And you have to deal even with you, yourself. And the reality of it is, sometimes, a lot of times, leadership is frustrating and it's annoying and it challenges us. And it's a great test for us. I'm going to take you to another case study and then we'll come back to Samuel. Go with me to the book of Numbers. It's a story about a guy by the name of Moses who God called and made him a leader of his people. And his task was to take the people out of Egypt and to lead them to God's promise for them. And what a high calling, what a huge job Moses has. But Moses, like any leader, experienced the frustrations and the annoyances of what it means. And he was tested as a leader because he was called to lead the people. Check this out. Just listen to this. If you're, and I already told you you're a leader, but some of you may lead more intensely than others. But listen to this. You can identify with this, right? Numbers chapter 11, verse 11. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? <laughs> why have you brought this trouble on me? I don't want to be a leader. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? (laughs) Don't you love that? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? They're like children, Jesus God. Why did you call me to lead them? Why did you call me to carry them it feels like I'm carrying them and he continues in verse 13 where can I get meat for all these people they call they keep wailing to me give us meat to eat give 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 I cannot carry all these people by myself Moses says the burden is too heavy for me if this is how you are going to treat me put me to death right now Lord, just take me out because I can't lead no more. (laughs) They have become too much for me. Just kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. Wow. Leadership is challenging. It's frustrating. You carry the weight of a lot if you choose to do it and to do it well. The leadership experts tell us this. They tell us that we leave in four different directions. You can kind of look at a compass and understand a little bit about leadership. We lead north. We lead south. We lead east. We lead west. We lead north because we lead those who we are subordinate to. We lead 
up, in other words. We lead towards those people who have authority over us. So I have a senior pastor. I have a church board. I have a conference. And to a certain extent, I lead up. I influence what they do. Now, whether or not they actually listen, who knows. But you try to at least lead up, right? That's an awkward, challenging thing is to lead up. But it's not the ultimate, it's not the ultimate leadership test. We lead south. In other words, we lead, those, we lead those who fall under our charge. They are our immediate followers. I have a team that works with me uh, here with, at the bridge and in young adult ministries. I, I get to lead down, so to speak, towards them. I lead south, and, and I try to encourage them and, and, and lead them well. And then we lead east and west, which means we lead our peers, or we lead uh, our colleagues. I have other pastors here on the staff, Pastor Patty, Pastor Barb, Pastor Mark. All these people are my colleagues, and I lead laterally towards them. That is a leadership test for sure. Leading south is a leadership test. Leading north is a leadership test. All ways in which you and I lead, they are testing, they are trying, they are frustrating at times, and sometimes you're just like, Lord God, take me out, right? But it's not the most challenging test. Because as much as we'd like to think that everybody underneath us or to the side of us or above us are the most difficult people to lead, the most difficult person to lead is you. You are the most difficult person to lead. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at the greatest challenge to your leadership you could ever come up with. You can't blame it on those above. You can't blame it on those below. You can't blame it on those to the side. You are the most difficult person you will ever lead. Self-leadership is the greatest test of your leadership that you will face. It's just true. Have you hung out with you long? Yeah. You're a challenge. I'm a challenge. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, I believe, he, he kind of puts his, his personal leadership struggle out there for all of us to see. He says, the things that I want to do, I cannot do. But the things that I don't want to do, I always find myself doing. What a wretched man that I am, he says. Then he called himself the chief of all sinners because he realized that when it comes to leadership, the greatest leadership test that he will face is leading himself. And the greatest frustrations that will come will come because he is attempting or she is attempting to lead himself. We are attempting to lead ourselves. But it's absolutely vital that we lead ourselves and we lead ourselves well. Here's the second case study, which was really the first one. We're going to go back to it. It's in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30. A little background so we understand the context of this. David is anointed and appointed. One of the most significant leaders in the entire Old Testament is this guy by the name of David. He was anointed by Samuel. He would become king. In this particular episode of David's life, he hasn't quite made it to the throne yet. In fact, he's still a bit of a fugitive on the run from Saul. Remember crazy Saul? Saul went a little nuts. He's a little obsessed with David. God has taken the favor off of Saul and placed it on David. He is chosen by God. Great things are in store for him as a leader. 
And up to the point, this point in, in the stories of David's life, he has had wild success. He's been awesome, unstoppable. He wins battle after battle. The people love him. People are cheering in the streets for David. But he comes to this test of his leadership. And it is the test of all tests. He's on the run from Saul, and he actually finds a, a kind of a, an awkward alliance with the Philistines. The Philistines are terrible enemies of the Israelites. The Philistines say, well, you might turn your back on us, so we don't want you fighting with us. We'll give you a little spot in a place called Ziklag. You and your 600 men and their families can go hang out in Ziklag, kind of in a desert, barren place. They give him that. It's in the south. The Philistines go off to fight the Israelites. Uh, the Israelites and the Philistines are, are fighting and going up against each other. Um, there's another group called the Amalekites. The Amalekites are kind of this band of, of, of just kind of a bunch of bandit type of guy, pirates almost. They run around and they, they pillage and they take what they can and they, they'll defeat people and rob people. In fact, they've beat the Israelites before in the past and then they've been defeated by the Israelites before. They're an old foe. Well, while the Philistines and the Israelites are off fighting, and David and his men are on their way back, they actually go, the Amalekites do, they go to Ziklag, and they raid David's home. And they take his wives and his children, they take all the 600 men's wives and children, and they just, they kidnap and they, they burn their little Ziklag place down. This is what's happening after they discover that their little city has been burned down and everything that means anything to them has been taken away. That's where we pick up the story. There's weeping, there's grief. They're weeping loud. David's wives have been, have been taken. His children have been taken. He's disoriented. He's unsure. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But more than that, the people around him are unsure of what's going to happen. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. When things go bad, folks, who do people look at? The leader. They look at you. So David has the stress of his own grief, the distress of the situation that he finds him in. Is leadership stressful? Absolutely. If you're not feeling stressed as a leader, if you're not feeling distressed, you're probably not doing it right. The word distress in this passage in the Hebrew actually um, it means to narrow. It means to narrow. So get the, it, it's kind of like the walls begin to close in on you. When crisis comes and you're the leader, everybody looks at you and everything sort of narrows to focus on you. And that's, that seems unfair, but that's just the reality of how leadership is. When things go bad, people look at you for leadership. So he has that distress, and then on top of that, he has these people threatening to stone him. Threatening his life. Because when things go bad, people get crazy. Right? And they look for someone to blame, and they look for someone to take out. Everybody was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Now, here's, the, here's how David met the test. And this is the most intense test that he will ever face as a leader. It's the same test that you and I must 
past. It's what makes the difference in how we lead our own lives. You know, you know what this verse says. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Please do not lose sight of what that means. In the midst of his most intense leadership test, man, in this pivotal moment in his life, it's life or death, man. This matters. This is huge. David pulls away and he finds strength in his God. Is leadership annoying? Does it come with a great deal of stress and anxiety? Absolutely. The way you meet the test and the way you pass the test so that you can lead well is that you find strength in the Lord your God. He is the one, the only one who can see you through. David could have sat there and he could have sulked. He could have isolated. That's what a lot of leaders do who are, who are struggling with leadership. They could run off and isolate themselves and, and play Pokemon Go. <laughs> I don't know. I just came up with that. Yeah, you could do that. Or you could play solitaire on your computer. You can go and isolate and stay away from the people who are annoying you because they're expecting you to lead. You could absolutely do that. But David takes a step back and he gets alone with his God. And David strengthens himself in the Lord his God. And don't miss that word, his, those words, his God. In those moments when it seems like everything's been taken away from David and everything's been taken away from the people who he leads, what he has not forgotten is what he actually still has. And what is that? He has his God. Dude, when everything's been stripped from you, when all your confidence is gone, when they hurl stones of insult at you and they question your capability, they question whether or not you should even be here to lead, what you have is that you still have the Lord your God. Don't you dare miss this critical part of what it means to lead and what will make the difference in how you lead others. The way that you lead yourself is that you strengthen yourself in the Lord, your God. Because this God isn't just the God over the Seventh-day Adventist church. He's not just the God over the Forest Lake church. He's not just the God that's, that's the God of the world and for all believers. He's your God. And you matter to him. And when things are taken away from you and when people question your ability to lead and when they, when they wonder about your, even your motives to lead and when they criticize you and they hurl insults and they're ready to take you out. They're ready to call the conference. Bring somebody else in here because we don't like this guy or girl. Don't you dare forget what you have. You have God. You have God. So you and I will be faced with this with this test, it's the greatest test. It's the test of how I will lead me in times of great crisis and when, when so much matters. And will we find strength in the Lord our God or will we lean on our own skills, our own talents, our own abilities? 
We lean on our training and our degrees and our diplomas. Will you lean into the God of this universe who has everything, who is strong, who even says when you are weak, then he is strong. Now don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because what would happen is David would get the green light to go ahead and to pursue the Amalekites, and to recover what was taken from him. So, so David spends his time with the Lord. He finds strength in the Lord. He's already tired. He's battle-weary. But he travels, he travels, and he tracks down the people who have taken everything from him with God's blessings and with the blessings of the priests. And they go and they fight from, from dusk till dawn. They fight these Amalekites. So they, they run off 400 of them, but they defeat, they decimate these Amalekites. And they recover everything that was taken from them and then some. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. The reason they were able to recover and rescue that which was taken from them is because David found strength in the Lord his God. Don't miss this. You and I are placed here on this earth to lead. We're called to be Christians in a, plan, in a place that often is not friendly towards Christians. And we're called to step up and to lead. We're called to be these testifiers of grace. Why? Because so much is at stake. The enemy has taken. He has stolen people away who, do not under, who have not heard the gospel. Who do not understand who this great God is that we serve. This God of grace. And a lot of it hinges on how well you and I lead. And our most powerful testimony is that when we are in the most testing place of our leadership, is where we place, where we receive our strength from, where we place our trust. Everything hinges on that. Many people will be rescued because you found your strength in the Lord your God. Father God, I pray that you would impress upon every person's heart who's here just how critical it is that we lead ourselves well. And what I realize, God, is that it's easy to forget about you. It's easy to forget about what we have. But maybe right now, here in these moments, we can be reminded that we have you. That you are our God. And we, when we surrendered our lives to you, that meant something. That you personally know us and we personally matter to you. So when we face our greatest test, may we not abandon you. And if anyone has, if they've just kind of gone off and they are trusting in their abilities and their degrees and all of the stuff that they've accomplished... I pray that we could surrender anew. I pray that we could begin to understand how important it is that we find our strength in you so that others can be rescued, so that others can learn of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.